Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore Podcast. Silvercore has been providing its members with the skills and knowledge necessary to be confident and proficient in the outdoors for over 20 years, and we make it easier for people to deepen their connection to the natural world. Very often when a podcast ends, the conversation continues. That was the case here, and we decided to press record on a candid conversation where Sean asked me questions he was curious about. For the complete conversation that led to this discussion, make sure to download episode 107 where Sean shares the secrets that led to his success as an industry leader. If you enjoy the Silvercore podcast and you'd like to see more, the biggest thing that you can do to help us grow is to like, comment, and share with others. It's a small effort, but it makes a massive difference to the growth of the show. Thank you. All right, brother, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so why this? Why this podcast? You know, it's one of these things. I, I looked at what was happening in my sphere, in my business, and there there was a hell of a lot of negativity that you see, whether it be on a social side from uh, firearms or hunting and people against that, uh, whether it be within the industry itself. You know, you're in the real estate industry. I'm sure there's all different types of characters and there's those that will strive hard to build the biggest building and build a community around them to build it up. And there are also those that will try and torch everybody else's building so that theirs looks the biggest. And I was encountering that numerous times and I thought, this is what I know. This is what I do. Do I want to just endeavor in a different direction or do I want to see if I can be the person to bring some positivity? and change into an industry where I'm experiencing, uh, difficulty and negativity. So that, that was the advent of the Silvercore podcast. It was specifically designed to bring positivity into the industry and to highlight people's passion and share that passion with others. What do you feel that, let me phrase business or people, people that are out there, like a very similar question to what you've asked me earlier is like, what are some of the changes you feel that we need, we need to be doing as a society to better, you know, gun advocacy and all the other kind of things that you're involved in and we've been talking about. It's similar to what you're talking about before, which is to have an open mind, to separate the individual from the idea, to realize that a lot of us are all striving to get to the exact same place. We're just taking different paths to get there. And that p- place that we're trying to get to, if we can take a step back and look at that and say, is that worthwhile? Is that a place where we want to be? And if so, are we able to be tolerant of these other paths? And in fact, is there a way we can work together to get there? And that one piece of the puzzle that work together to get there is a one piece of the puzzle that I found to be lacking in so many areas. Cause the person who wants to work together the most will often times find themselves being the one who does the majority of the work, mm-hmm. who gets taken advantage of or forgotten, uh, if, if things start to get tough or difficult. So I think it's a process of realizing that's human nature and then surrounding yourself with the right quality of person. And so right now, how we find ourselves, um, let's just say in like the whole firearms community and Mm. what's happening. Like I know there was lawsuits between major organizations and all these other kinds of things. Are we cannibalizing ourselves? What are, what are some of the things that as a community, 
because you're in this community more than mm. anybody I know. What are some of the things that we should be doing to kind of, you know, help to be that one foot forward? Like how, how do we bring these people together when you have people with the exact same minds? One might just be a little bit more extreme than the other or whatever it is, right? <laughs> For lack of a better word. But how, how do we bring these communicated? Because I feel like if we're bickering and fighting, we're, we're definitely not moving forward. No, and you're not. And then you, and if I'm to extrapolate from lawsuits and community, you're probably talking about different advocacy groups that yeah. are out there and the power struggles that have happened. And really none of them are blameless. There is no one single white knight in all of this. And some of them have weaponized their, their followers in the hopes of getting more followers and to try and defeat others. I think. That, that is one area that has been so disheartening when you look at it is the amount of, of infighting. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll find that at every level, at the high levels, at the low levels, whether it's your local club and they get in there and says, well, I don't care that about this law that's coming through. Cause I'm not a pistol shooter or I don't have restricted or prohibited, or I'm only black powder. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest, uh, benefit that this community in general, whether it be the firearms community or the hunting community can look at is what is our guiding light? Do we have an overarching goal that we're looking to get towards? Like if people say, no, nope, from my cold dead hands and they ain't getting just one and okay, that, that's one stance. That's one way you can go towards it. Yeah. But you also realize you're going to alienate a hell of a lot of people in the process. Um, but if you have that one guiding light and then the resources for people to be able to be essentially empower themselves. Cause most people have that ability already. They just don't realize it. So waking people up to the fact that they have that ability and maybe just providing them resources where you can say, you don't need an organization to go and do these things for you. In fact, all of you individuals are so much more powerful on your own. Mm -hmm. That organization, lean on them and make them work. Have them provide you as individuals with the, uh, the tools so that you can go out there and sing from the same song sheet mm -hmm. and approach in a similar way. I think that would probably affect the greatest amount of, of, uh, change and compassion. Be compassionate because what you're looking at is something that can negatively, some people have been negatively affected by firearms and I'm never in a million years, am I going to try and tell them that guns are a good thing or try and endeavor in some sort of rational argument on an emotional, mm -hmm. uh, level. It's, um, you're not doing them or yourself or anybody any favors. Be compassionate. Realize that there are different ways that people look at these things and maybe it's surrounding ourselves with the right community and then working together. That's actually, I was going to ask you that as well. Cause I'm, <clears throat> I'm in the community, like I'm part of the wild sheep society and so on and so forth. But, and I go, I'm a member at the Poco gun range and mission gun range and so on and so forth. So I try to be around it as much as I can, but mm. I'm the first one to say, like, I never go to general meetings. I never do any of these things. So, <laughs> you know, I got, I got to practice. Yeah, why would you? They're boring, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And is, is there... Is there a lack of community that might help these things? Cause like you said, and I've, I've generally heard this and I've seen these on these BC hunting forums and all this other kind of stuff like, oh, I don't give a rat's ass if they don't, if they take all pistols or black guns away, they're only just machismo guys trying to be cool anyways. And, you know, I use my gun for hunting. They'll never take that away. And then sure enough, they take away, you know, 10,000 jewel <laughs> or whatever, you right, know what I mean? And right. it does start affecting them. Is that because... 
we have separated ourselves within and created micro communities. I think in general, most of these, what's the best way to say firearms owners or whatever. I feel like a lot of us are very independent individuals and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that goes in the woods. I can take care of myself. I don't need everybody kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, so does that play in the fact of why we haven't come to together and been so cohesive in the movement? Like what are some of the things that you think we can do to bring this to, to bring everybody together more or less and kind of bring us on the same page and have that, that empathy and compassion for each other's sports and firearms in general versus just like, this is mine and only mine. I think it comes down to normalization. And I, I think you talk about these micro communities and they're there. There's always going to be, doesn't matter what activity people get into. You're going to have golfers and then you're going to have people that get right, right into it. Yeah. And you all, you, you know, it doesn't matter what group or organization you're with, but I think that the firearms community has been, and I'll put my air brackets up here for people that are listening, under the gun for such a long period of time that a lot of them have decided, you know, if we're quiet, if we don't poke our head up, we just do our thing. We're not going to sit here and try and convince other people, uh, it'll all go away, but there's there's just a massive machine behind the, uh, whether intentional or otherwise the anti-gun or anti-hunting movements. Some of it's very much intentional. Some of it, maybe not so much, you know, firearms are glorified in, in media. Uh, people think of a police officer and, you know, give me a couple objects that a a cop is. They don't think of a pen and paper. They don't think of, uh. Uh, all, all the things that a cop is, they think about that very small thing, which is a gun on the hip, right? Yeah. Badge, gun, right? Firefighter is going to be hose and bucket, right? Um, the gun has been glorified and in ways through media and it's been vilified in a way that, uh, I think it's become a part of the argument as opposed to like people will say, well, I love my guns. Yeah. Right. I, you're not going to take one and I'm going to fight for every last gun. And then the other side might say, no, every gun should be gone. But what are we actually talking about? Like, what's the end goal? Like if, if you ask any gun owner out there, they'd say, yeah, we don't want to see shootings. We don't want to see gangsters out there running around with them. We don't want to see kids taking them to school. Mm -hmm. I don't know any gun owner in the world that would say that. And it's the same sentiment of what other, uh, people who'd want to get rid of guns. So what is it we're actually looking to work towards? And if you can start identifying that and maybe just take the gun out of the equation for a second, just put it on the side, say, not a problem. We can talk about that and do our best to take the emotion out of it and say, well, you know, is there such a thing as a bad gun? Right. And sure we can talk about that, but what effect is that going to have if we get rid of them? Like what effect are getting rid of drugs do? Um, well. People still got drugs. Prisons are the easiest place to get them, right? (laughs) People are still having problems. Are we looking at harm reduction? Are we looking at something that'll actually move our society to the place where we're not seeing these, these negative things that are being spun out in the media? Do you feel like it's maybe a fact that, uh, the gun, and I don't know if it's necessarily our place to have to do this anyways, but- Mm -hmm the gun advocacy groups, firearm advocacy groups are not creating enough solutions for the problems that may be out there. And they're just sort of saying like, Hey, not over my dead body. (laughs) Are you taking these guns away from me? And what I mean by it as an example is, 
Um, and just like you mentioned earlier, if somebody is shot, let's say you lose a son or a family member or something from a firearm, mm. right? There's a lot of emotion attached to that, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. It's hardship and everything attached to that. And is it, did the firearm, like any reasonable person is going to know this, the firearm jump off the table and shoot somebody? No. There was somebody behind that that did that action and so on and so forth, right? Um, but it is very easy for somebody to say, well, if there were no guns or if you don't have a gun, then that wouldn't, nobody would be able to grab that. They don't necessarily think, well, just like England, you can go get a knife and stab somebody or you can sure. drive a truck or, you know, if somebody wants to kill you, unfortunately, that's. And England's still got guns and they're an island. And if you yeah. can't keep them off this island, how do you expect to keep it out of, let's say Canada, which is right next door to the largest arms manufacturer in the world. Exactly. Right. right? So is it maybe that we are not coming up with enough solutions as, um, as a movement in, in whole, like, are we coming, like, I, are, are we going out there and just saying, Hey, listen, guns don't kill people, kill people, kill people. Okay. It's the truth. Sure. Right. But by saying that you are also not giving any, well, this is what we should do and how it would be an effective harm reduction policy. Does that make sense? Are, kind of like find... that old book, uh, getting to yes, negotiating agreement without giving in. Right? Yeah, exactly. Here's my line in the sand and I'm not going to go past it as right. opposed to saying, well, okay, I've got this line here, but I'm willing to move that line for you if we get this and basically come into some sort of an accord or an understanding. Or, or even, uh, I'll give you an example, right? I think one of the things that I don't see any of our ag advocacy groups, like whoever they may be sure. mentioning you know, in, in, in the United States, for example, all of these mass shootings that you've had, I saw the entire list of it and I'm sure you guys can all Google it and see it yourself, but almost every single one, no, not almost every single one of these kids that did these mass shootings were all on some kind of antidepressants, all on some kind of drugs, all on some I've kind of that. mind altering. Not one of them wasn't hmm. right. Um, and so do, do we as advocacy groups talk enough about the preliminary causes and okay, no problem. We can do background checks. We can do, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, you give an inch and then they ask for not even a mile in this case, many times, 10, 20, 30 miles. But, um, I think most Canadian firearm owners that I've met are okay with background checks, are okay with some reasonable pressure, just like you got to get a driver's license for a car. Right. I think most of us are okay with certain things, right? Where it draws the line is, is that we are getting everything taken away without any reasonable reason for it. Right. No mass murders with AR-15s, no nothing. And then all of a sudden, all these responsible owners that are the most vetted Canadians, right, are getting all of their firearms and personal property taken away from us. Mm. And so obviously we're rightfully angry, right? But are we doing enough to you know, tell the world as an advocacy, as a group, as an organization on the actual causality of what is causing these people, people to do these horrific things. You know, the gun is the tool, obviously, and that's what they keep bringing up. Mm. But do you feel as a society, we're doing enough to, you know, educate the world on what is actually happening? I just don't see a lot of that out there. You know, the word reasonable is always going to be a difficult one, right? <laughs> Surely you're open to some reasonable restrictions. Yeah. You're open to some reasonable measures. Oh yeah, I'm open to reasonable measures, right? Yeah. Well, where does that reason start to begin with? If, if it is in fact that all of these shooters in the States 
mass shooters were on some sort of mind altering drug, wouldn't it be reasonable to start there as opposed to looking at, they also all wore blue shoes, right? Or or whatever it might be. Um, (laughs) the firearms got the ability to do some serious damage in a short period of time. And there's no doubt about that. I don't think that everybody should have a God given right to have access to any type of level of whatever it might be, nuclear, right? <laughs> like you, what is that fake Latin saying? Absolutum infinitum, right? You yeah. just, t- you take the argument to the absolute infinite. Uh, right. does it make sense over there still? If so, then maybe you got a good argument. If it doesn't, like, why are we, where are we drawing these arbitrary lines? I think that the, um, uh, there's a lot of very well-meaning people out there, most of these people want the exact same thing. They don't want to see people get hurt. Yeah. People want to feel safe. They don't want to be feeling threatened in their communities. And some people look at it as a firearm as a way to feel safe. And other people look at getting rid of the firearm as a way to feel safe. But it also will be a very easy tool because it's got such an emotional attachment associated with it to pull those emotional strings if you want to just manipulate or control, or if I want to get votes in a certain area, I'll say, well, look at my opponent wants to make it easier for you to get guns, right? <coughs> and vice versa. Yeah. You want to get votes in another area to say, my opponent wants to take away your, your right to be able to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, neither of those are really true, yeah. right? The, the end result of that, but it sure gets people fired up. The, the minutia of it can get boring for people. What? You mean we have to actually talk to our children and raise them in a certain way? And there's some things that we can do as a society and as family to be able to look out for these pre-fight indicators or pre-threat indicators. And we have to start providing people, um, necessities. Like a lot of times these things are happening. People are drawn to a life of crime, typically not because they come from the most affluent backgrounds and have all, all the niceties in life would offer, they might be drawn there because they are at risk to begin with. Should we be looking at, at, at those areas? It gets a little tougher and the conversation isn't quite as easy to have. So I, I think that's where the, the major disparity happens between the two sides. One, because it's such a polarizing topic. It's um, two, because it's very emotional. Three, because it's intentionally used by both sides to be able to take them apart but are we doing enough to be able to educate people on other reasons? I think people have to be open to hearing that first. How do we know though, if we're not saying it or are we saying it? I'm just missing it. I mean, the information's there. Yeah. If, if a person is a gun owner can find it, a person as a non-gun owner can find it too. But what did Disraeli say? And I don't even think it was Disraeli. There's liars, damn liars and statisticians, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, people can make stats sing to whatever, whatever way they wish it to go, but there are some underlying truths to things, right? There are some things that they can be able to extrapolate in a similar way to what you're talking about before of how you operate your business and you're doing your constant OODA loop. <clears throat> so how do we, how do we go ahead and, you know, tell the general public this? Because I think where, and just, just by being an outsider that's in the, more along the firearms community as a participant, mm. not as a, you know working in it or whatever have you, um, I, I don't see, uh, unless for myself, like I've, 
I've been able to bring a few people into the community because I, I show myself shooting on Instagram. You know, I'm, I'm like showing how much I enjoy doing these activities, right? Mm. Um, but do we as a community, are we proactively putting it in commercials? Are we proactively out there trying to get this message across? And I know it could be a double-edged sword because then all of a sudden, you know, they're going to loop us into what's in the States and you have the whole NRA and whatever, you know, the 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 gun most powerful committees, whatever you want to call it. The point is, is are we doing enough to educate or do you feel like that might us going out there as the CCFR, for example, going out there and putting these things out there, that's going to all of a sudden backfire and say, hey, th- these gun lobbies are just trying to brainwash you or whatever. Well, anything could backfire or be yeah. used in, in the, uh, as a propaganda tool to be used against a person. I don't know if uh, telling people is necessarily the approach to take. I really don't have an answer to it, but I do know what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's similar to what you just said, and that's showing. I'll show people. I mean, through my social media, through how I dress, how I comport myself to, I'm not running around decked out head to toe in, in uh, Vietnam era camouflage <laughs> with bandoliers <laughs> of bullets and yeah. I loves me guns, right? Yeah. You know, I'm doing my best just to be a normal individual who contributes to the community and works really hard to bring everybody else up around them into a better place and to, uh, assist those who are worth assisting and yeah. open to assistance to, 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 be a better, better person for, for themselves without making the gun or whatever the cause be the focus of the attention. It just so happens to be an ancillary byproduct of it. Right. And you know, Shane Mahoney is a, um renowned conservationist out of, uh, out of Newfoundland, a very good orator, well-spoken. And he says, you know, one thing for the hunting movement is to find something that has the public's attention rather than saying hunting's good and this is why, and here's all the stats on the animals and people like, they tune out. They like, I, I just saw a picture of a, of a wolf and it looks like my dog and it was shot and yeah. I feel bad. Right. He says, well. Why don't we look at a movement that's, uh, gaining popularity and has been for some time. And that's just, you're eating local and the hundred mile diet and all the rest. And, and we'll just emphasize that hunting also happens to be a part of that, yeah. but, but we're not trying to force it down somebody's throat. I, I don't think that, uh, we exclude those who want to forcibly try and stand up and yeah. say, this is a way, like, I don't think there's just one way, but I think for the general population, the masses, if, if they just realize that, you know, our doctors, our lawyers, our judges, our, our, uh, police officers, our professionals in our community, yeah. teachers out there, they hunt, they have firearms and they're productive members. And I, I think that sort of a, uh, approach would perhaps paint a different picture than what people typically see which is at six o'clock news and yeah. here's, here's the gangbanger out there, right? So it's more, uh, of a normalization of showing that like, this is something that everybody does. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I don't want to tell you the exact, cause I'd be lying, the exact stats on it, but Ohio and Idaho and all these things in Utah, the amount of, uh, tags that have gone, gone, uh, or been applied for because of Joe Rogan and because mm. of Cameron Haynes and because of all these guys saying like, that's all I eat is elk now. Right. You know, like, and it's going, and it's been this, instead of hunting 
Mm-hmm. It's lifestyle. It's like I only eat organic. I train every day. I do cold showers or cold baths. Sure. I do this and I eat elk. Yeah. Right. And they're and, contributing members of the society who are doing something that's productive and right. they're an aspirational figure that right. other people say, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too. So maybe is that one of the next steps then? Is that something you're saying that these people that are normal contributing members of society should be just a little bit more outspoken? Is that something that we could ask for or hope for? Uh, Perhaps I, th- I think the biggest thing is just don't get baited into the argument that you didn't want to have to begin with. Cause there's, there's a losing proposition on, on some of these arguments yeah. and guns are bad, guns are good. Well, guns are neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so, right? Yeah. To, yeah. M- to misquote Shakespeare. Yeah. I think the argument has just been wrong mm-hmm. for a very long time, both intentionally and un- un- unintentionally. Mm-hmm. I think that people should, uh, they don't have to force their opinions and beliefs down people, but they also have to realize that those who are trying to force their opinions and beliefs, there should be a check and balance in that process and not get baited into being the opposition of a certain thing, but you're opposing someone's ability to force their will or opinion on you without the ability to have a, a reasonable, uh, retort back. Right. Well, that kind of leads to a question I have for you. Okay. So I've been looking at getting, um, a trap line. I was looking at, I'm getting my pilot's license and hopefully my float designation. How do I get an ATC? That's an excellent (laughs) question. I'm glad you asked that one. And, uh, yeah, float plane. Awesome. My, my son is working towards his pilot license at the moment now. And we're, we're, I know he's going to want floats as well. He's like, where, where is he doing it? Um, Charlie Zulu Bravo Bravo here okay. at Burnaby. Yeah. Cool. Or Boundary Bay, sorry. Very cool. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, done his ground school a couple of times. He's only 14 right now. But oh, wow. Uh, That's very cool. Yes. Yeah, so he's done ground school a few times. He's just working up his hours now, done yeah. his tests, got everything under his belt and he's just got to finish up his hours and get himself through. But it's, it's such an amazing experience. There's, um, I've been boating my whole life. I have my motorcycle license, all that kind of jazz, but flying a, I way underestimated how much work it is. So it's your, a lot of work, eh? Holy cow. And like what you have to memorize and, and it makes sense, but I just thought I'm just trying to like fly a Cessna with floats, right? And what, what work do I have to do? And they're the re- dead easy to fly, <laughs> like really yeah, when you're yeah. up there, but, but it's a hell of a lot of work. Well, and the thing is what you have to learn is basically 75 or 80% of what the pilot does. Cause if you don't know how to do that stuff, you're going to drop the plane out of the sky. That's the, right. All the stuff kind of goes in there. So I way underestimated the amount of work it would take, but, um, yeah, I'm, what I'm looking to do is obviously go hunting, I'm looking at guiding, trap line, something is, you know, a down the line, not to say retirement gig, but other gig. Yeah. Um, man, what do I do to get an ATC, man? So ATC, authorization to carry. few different ways you can get one in Canada. One, you can be, uh, <coughs> your principal activity is a transport of cash and negotiables. So armored car guards, they get ATCs. They don't have a Queens commission like the police have. Police don't have firearms licenses unless they go out personally and get one. A little bit different rules there, just like the, our army doesn't need firearms licenses to go out. Uh, and is it, sort of interrupt, is it true that, cause I've heard this, I think like RCMP can't carry outside of duty? Yes or no. Oh, okay. Depending, I guess, on what their role yeah. is or something, uh, I guess, right? Technically they're not supposed to be carrying outside of duty. If they get authorization from a supervisor, they can now carry outside of duty. Okay. Um, yeah. 
So uh, there, there's a yes and no, and there's a bit of a gray area. I think there is a, uh, when the, the laws keep coming in and changing, there's always going to be levels to try and placate those who are going to be enforcing the laws yeah. as well too, right? You don't. It, well, it's just weird to me that a police officer that that's their job, they walk around with a firearm, can't conceal carry or something like that. It's just, it, it, one doesn't make sense for the other, that's all. But I, I guess it is what it is. It's laws. It's Canada. <laughs> and, and there's a lot that might not make sense, but yeah. So your principal activity is to transport a cash or negotiables, armor car guard. Yeah. You got to go through some training. You got to realize that there's going to be less violent means available and how you can take them. They don't really have intermediary options like pulling out a, a baton or pepper spray or taser. They go from empty hand defense to lethal force, right? So they've. Uh, they don't really have the same force continuum that, uh, a police officer would have. Right. Mind you, their role is to leave, to run away. Yeah. So, but a week long course, week to two weeks, depending on who you're doing the training with and the level of training that they're getting. Right. Uh, if your life is in danger, right? If there's a legitimate threat on your life and the key word I think is police protection isn't adequate. Okay. You can get yourself an ATC for that. We've worked with some and the final hurdle for some individuals who had legitimate threats on their life, who were requiring the ability to carry a firearm was, we need you to get something from your local chief of police, piece of paper saying that their protection is not adequate. Well, good luck finding <laughs> that, right? Yes. Can, they, could, could you give me an example of like who would qualify for that? Like not, obviously don't give me exactly who they were, but like what kind of position would that be in? Is that like, cause obviously it's not going to be like, Hey, you're a gangster. So you can qualify <laughs> yourself, right? Uh, but the law is not, it doesn't qualify the individual. They just say that there's going to be some imminent risk to uh, death or grievous bodily harm okay. and police protection is inadequate. So that uh, could, could be the gangster, right? Hmm. Technically. Uh, under the law, typically is something that's going to be given to, let's say a judge during a period of time when they're working on a trial and there's been threats on their life and, gotcha. and the police aren't, you know, maybe they have a protective detail on them, but, uh, they can't be everywhere all the time for them. Yeah. So that, that's generally been from my understanding where the few and far between on the protection of life, uh, outside of your cash negotiables has been, uh, issued, but then there's the one that you're talking about and people call it a WATC or wilderness ATC. Yep. So they keep changing rules on that. And every time they change the rules, we here at Silver Core have always been the forefront of certifying new individuals who qualify to meet whatever the new rules are. I think it was <laughs> around 96 put person through and 2000, they change the rules, put them through and, and there's essentially, it comes down to you're working in a remote wilderness area and you require a restricted firearm or a pistol to protect yourself, your life from predatory animals. What's a remote wilderness area? I don't know. Right. Uh, that's to somebody living in the city, maybe going out a little bit into the bush is remote wilderness. If somebody lives well outside the city, maybe they feel that's pretty populated. So that, that's pretty open to interpretation. Mind you, when we've had people come through for the ATCs, we leave that wide open, any area within BC, which is considered remote wilderness. Uh, working is one, uh, that the, is, is sort of a key word and they, 
the issuing body being the Canadian finance program looks at working as actively employed or self-employed. It doesn't look at it as, Hey, I'm working on the roof of my cabin, right? Mm -hmm. They have to see some sort of employment. So, uh, if you've got a trap line, that would be okay. That's what I'm doing for work. They might ask you for municipal authorizations saying, Hey, you've got a business license. And I know when I had to apply for one, I had to get a letter from the city of Delta yeah. saying, we have no authority over remote wilderness areas through OPC, yeah, but, yeah. but that was one of the checks and balances they had to go through. And, uh, it has to be, you know, if. It's funny because there is a desire to not issue these wilderness ATCs. And I talked to my American friends and they're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. How can you not, uh, like Brad Brooks out of Idaho, he is out in Alaska and he's hunting and he's, um, uh, he's got his pistol in his hip because he's got his, he's doing some archery. He's like, how can you guys go out there and not have something, right? Well, it's crazy that you mentioned that actually, speaking of Alaska. Yeah. <clears throat> so I did the research. I can literally drive to the Alaska border yep. and with my hunting license that I purchased from Alaska. Which is right, free. Which is free. I can, or no, it's sorry, no, $10. It's, yeah. No course. Yeah. More or less free, right? Yeah. I can just say that I'm hunting small bird, which will allow me to bring over my firearm and I can conceal carry or open carry in Alaska. Wait, there's another permit that I have to apply right. for, but it, that is the preliminary effect for that permit. Yeah. So I can literally conceal carry in Alaska. And not in British Columbia. Well, that, that was the, 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 in the States, they have different rules. They call yeah. it a CCW. So concealed carry weapon. And I remember Utah, they had a, when they had reciprocity and a whole bunch of other States, including Alaska and Washington. And the, they had this guy coming around and he was just raking in the money, right? He was going to all the local clubs here in Canada and yeah. I'll put you through, you're going to get your Utah license. And I was one of them. I went yeah. through and I got my <laughs> Utah CCW and. When I went in the States, you were able to bring it across. I had my Alaska license and I went into Washington. Yeah. Okay. I mean, fair enough. You got your Alaska. So you met all the protocol yeah. and, um, I went down there for uh, training courses as doing yeah. in the States, but, uh, there's a lot of little workarounds. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to be on the arguing end, yeah. right. Of, of a workaround like this, if push came to shove, um, but for Canada, your, your wilderness ATC, they're going to require you a, that you do some sort of proof of proficiency. Okay. Um, and that you can take the course through yourself, right? There's yeah, an actual can, course that you do get. You can do that through yourself. It's, yeah. I find it kind of funny because they say, well, proof of proficiency, the people who can sign off on you, if they're a range officer or a firearm safety course instructor, well, neither of those people necessarily have any background in, in being able to provide proof of proficiency or qual courses right. for individuals. Maybe they're a range officer and they're good at turning the light on and off <laughs> and calling the range safe or not, or, or yeah. dealing with deactivated firearms or disabled firearms in the safety course, but that's where the process is. So huh. they, you have to show that you can shoot it. You're supposed to be using the same ammunition that you'd be using on an animal. So you can't use lighter loads. Gotcha. Uh, question on that is what police officers do you know that qualify on ammunition that's going to be the same as what they're using yeah. and carrying? And the answer is, well, probably close to none because yeah. most of them are using cheaper FMJs or frangibles on their, uh, their ranges and not hollow points. But, um, you meet that criteria, prove that you're working and you can do that with your trap line. Yeah. And then there's going to be caliber restrictions. They say they want to have something that's going to be, have enough power. 
that. So just random questions. Is the Glock 20, the 10 millimeter sufficient? Because I know a lot of guys up north are using those. Yeah. And I got one for a 40 cal. I think I was the first one to be issued one for 40 cal. <laughs> nice. And I, I would argue nine millimeter as well. Because yeah. previously they were saying, you know, uh, it has to be a revolver. It's got to be minimum... Uh, I think it was minimum 357 Magnum. I said, well, how does an animal go down? It's not always going to be bears that you're protecting yourself from, yep. right? There's other predatory animals out there that, uh, or other dangers that you could be having a problem with. And, you know, a nice powerful round does nothing if you miss it, right? If you have 10 rounds in your magazine, you have more chances to hit it. You have yep. more chances you're either going to be disabling an animal through an interruption of the central nervous system, the spine or brain, or through inducing massive hypovolemic shock through cardiopulmonary decompression. And the fastest way to do that is more holes. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, was successful on all of those fronts. I have seen people denied the ability if they're out in their trap line or if they're out uh, working in a remote wilderness area and they say, well, right now I'm carrying my shotgun with me everywhere. And they say, oh, well, you don't need a handgun then. <laughs> and that's what I was going to ask you because I've, I've heard of, I actually know two guides that, um, guide out of Muncho Lake up, mm. there, up there and they applied for it and they were denied because they were told that, well, you can carry a, uh, a shotgun, you can carry, um, a rifle or whatever it is. Right. But they, you know, they're ex not excuse, but why they wanted one is the fact that they're packing all the time. They're doing this. Right. Like they don't, how are they going to be able to access that shotgun if the thing's attacking them while they're packing meat on the back of their horses? That's right. right. Um, so I don't know if they've successfully been able to reapply or whatever the case has been a while since I talked to them, but so there is no specific, like, these are the jobs that you can do. These are the, it's just, if it's a, and that specific job, cause like, that's one of the things I've heard as well. There's quite a few helicopter pilots that mm -hmm. have it out there because at the end of the day, they're in, in forestry or whatever, they're communicating quite in, and they crash quite often, unfortunately, not. It happens. Yeah. Not, not, uh, lethal in most cases, but it happens. And, um, so that's, that's the only way that they have no room to put a shotgun or whatever it may be in there. So they're carrying. So there is no specific. No. Job requirement or anything. Remote wilderness area. What is that? That's up to you to define. Um, working. What is that? Well, that's going to be a conversation. They're going to want to have a talk with you. Yeah which is a good opportunity for them to say, well, you, now you've been disqualified based off of our talk. Yeah. And I remember when I went through, um, every time they change the rules and they make it different, they say, well, come on in, let's have a little conversation about it. I'm <laughs> like, why don't you send it to me in an email? I'm yeah. more than happy to, because I want to document the process, right? Yeah. Because I want to be able to assist others so that they can go in the same route. Yeah. Not to cheat the system, not yeah. to scam it, not to find a workaround, but to know exactly what it is that's required and what isn't. I would think from a government agency standpoint, they'd want that level of systemization. Yeah. And so it, it finally reached a point where they refused to do the, uh, to provide the questions by email. Cause they said it could be dynamic. It could be changing. I said, okay, not a problem. I got you on phone now. Yeah. Let's do this. You can ask me all the questions you want. And they yeah. said, okay, question number one, I write it down. I said, that's a really good question. I'll get back to you by email. What's the next question? <laughs> I went through the entire list and I said, like, come on guys, quit playing this game, right? Um, so anyways, yeah. got all the questions. They now have a written form as well that you'll answer and you'll put out, uh, uh, your, your questions. Do know that 
there are some firearms officers out there that will try to disqualify you based on your questions. So the more succinct you can be when you answer them yeah. to the point, truthful, yeah, obviously, obviously. um, the, the less you're providing for them to try and pick holes in. And so now with this new, uh, can't transfer, sell, buy handguns, has this thrown a wrench into the whole thing? Like, like, uh, fortunately I do have a 357. Fortunately I do mm -hmm. have, you know, a 10 millimeter Glock. Fortunately yeah. I have all those things. However, um, if I didn't and I needed an ATC, how would I go about doing that? Or is that just null and void now? Well, they've, they've they keep making provisions, right? Um, is it null and void? No, there's always a way like for someone to deny you the ability to protect your life. And I think that's one of the things that should, an approach that an individual should take. I definitely, I would take yeah. is to put that onus on the issuing party rather than them putting the onus on you and say, well, you didn't meet the requirements, put the onus on them to be able to say, how are those requirements sound? And now you're. If I get mauled and killed out there based on you and my inability to have anything else out there, you're going to wear this, yeah. right? Very yeah. few people want to wear that one. They'll yeah. try and find a way to pass it back. Um, there are provisions for people who are working for them to be able to get handguns okay. that, that are written in, but we've also got an election apparently coming up that's, uh, that's being rumored. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Hopefully that changes a lot. And you know, I guess the other side would be too for businesses there's nothing stopping an individual from starting a business. Yeah. Right. If you want to have all of the, there's, there's always a way for people to be able to do things. If somebody says, oh man, I really want to shoot full auto and I want to have silences and I want yeah. to have, and they go through the whole list of things that they want to do, a little bit of hard work, you can set up a business. There, there are businesses out there that do all of those things and now you're able to do it provided you're not just doing it for your own. Yeah. Right. And you, you can actually justifiably say, this is a business thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Go nuts. I mean, the requirements for a business are in some cases less stringent than for an individual. Hmm. Like for an individual, if you have to, uh, lock up your firearms, right. Your yeah. restricted firearms and trigger lock in a locked box, right. Separate from your ammunition or in a safe. And for a business, it's just gotta be, your firearms have to be separate in an area not readily accessible to the general public, every yeah. window and every door has to have the ability to be locked. doesn't even say it has to be locked, <laughs> right? And, um, there has to be an electronic alarm. And like, what is that? Is that one of those little motion sensor frogs that ribbits when you go by? <laughs> is it a monitored alarm? Is it a siren? I yeah. mean, they, they don't stipulate. Yeah. So it, it, it gets a little, a little silly. There's a lot of generalizations in there. There is. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. So I'm going to definitely try to apply for my ATC. I've got to figure out, I wonder if I could, uh, open Stonehouse in a remote location, <laughs> but how would I, how would I defend myself? Would you be ever working as a real estate agent in remote wilderness oh, yeah, locations? I, I actually do right now. There you go. Hmm. That's working. Do you think that would be approvable though? It all comes down to the individual. Yeah. I mean, from the letter of the law, absolutely. And it yeah. comes down to the individual, the circumstances, the firearms officer that you're dealing with. Cause keep in mind, you have to make it easy for them to say yes. Yeah. Or hard for them to say no. Right. If you want to paint a person to the corner and they got nowhere else to go, I mean, you're, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors, but if you paint them into a corner and give them a door out, yeah. most civil servants don't want to take that level of responsibility. And if they can find a way to pass it on to somebody else. Yeah and still do their job and do what they have to do. Not a problem. Fair enough. So let me ask you this. So with your ATC, 
could it, it's not defined by a specific area. I guess it will only be defined if it's um, like wilderness, I guess, but um, it's not defined. Because like, what I've been told is that you can, o- if you have a trap line and you're applying it for your trap line, you can only wear it on your trap line. And I even read somewhere that it has to be locked up while you're on like the quad or something like that. And that once you get off the quad, then you can put it and there's only a certain type of holsters that you can wear. You can't wear check. Like I, from what I've been told and read and obviously mm-hmm. probably wrong, but that there's a whole bunch of stipulations, uh, attached to it. But I guess maybe that's just how the application was or. I mean, if you want to put stipulations on, you can. And if they ask you to put stipulations on and you do, they will gladly comply with that. But it's similar to your authorization to transport. Uh Previously, you had to apply for an ATT. Then it was brought in as part of your license, but they would ask you a whole bunch of questions on there. What range do you belong to? What time do you think you're going to be transporting it? Um, What days would you be transporting it on? And people would fill it out and like, well, geez, I'm... I wouldn't go there on a weekday, maybe in the <laughs> evenings in the weekday, right? But not through the day and Saturdays and Sundays. And, um, and on the form it says, um, I think at the time it was, uh, one, two or three year license. What, what do you want it for? For how long? Like, why would I put, oh, I just want it for a year. I just <laughs> need it for a week. And so, uh, back around 94, 95 put out a form and it said to all approved gun clubs and ranges, uh, from 2400 to 2400. Every day of the week. I want it for the maximum of three years. Like the, I, I get the intention behind some of these laws and rules. They don't want to see gangbangers running around with handguns yeah. and without proper permission. And it gives them another tool so they can say, are you right or are you wrong? But as a licensed firearms owner, who's gone through proper training and criminal record checked and background checked and reference checked. And now that reference checks and all those checks go for a person's lifetime. What's the difference between them carrying a rifle, which is far more dangerous than a pistol or a shotgun. So, you know, sometimes the logic kind of goes out the window. And I think the firearms program looked at that. They'll make forms. Sometimes the only, the only, um, teeth that some of these laws really have, or some of these rules that are in place fall in place on the form because Uh, there's an order prescribing forms and licenses and they'll say it's asked on the form. And so you have to fill it out, but there's nowhere in the law that says you have to put these things out. So it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting sort of thing. And it's, um, uh, I mean, we, we advocate for people's ability to be able to use things lawfully and safely, uh, not to be cutting corners and skirting the, (laughs) skirting the, uh, the rules here, but in the same breath that there are rules that you're supposed to be playing by, it's important people know what they are. Yeah. So, um, so j- just to clarify then, mm. so <clears throat> let's say I get an ATC. Yeah. You're on your trap line. And I'm on my trap line and I haven't specifically said that this is going to be for my trap line. This is going to be for, uh, trapping, but not specifically for that area only. Let's just put it that way. Um, now does it have to be used in on the job per se, like only, or can I, can I go hunting later on that day with a bow and carry my handgun with me? I think if you look at these things, there's two places that I'd put myself in two positions. Number one, um, CYA, can you articulate, right? Can you articulate to a conservation officer or a police officer or whomever it might be that you're complying with the conditions of which your license was uh, provided. Right. And number two, 
is this a position that you'd want to defend in court? Right. Right. So, uh, if the answer is yes to both of those and then so be it. Right. But, uh, if you're a little hazy on some of them, then I'd say I probably wouldn't because the ends don't justify the means. And is that really worth it for you? Uh, for some of the people who are getting their licenses, they're going to be working, who knows, anywhere out in remote wilderness areas in BC, uh, or whatever province they're, they're in. And, uh, maybe they're, maybe they're a free miner. They don't have a set trap line, or maybe right. they're, they're looking for new trap lines. They're going to be setting up and they need to explore these areas just because you have a trap line yeah. and that's your one. Doesn't mean you, it's going to preclude you from looking in other areas right. and staking places out. So, uh, I would say, uh, but the letter of the law basically says that it should be during the job, I guess, or it says doing, working, yeah. working. Okay. So it, it's not just that I have to have that. And once I have a job and I use it for my job, I can use it for everything else too. I mean, if your it's, job's as a guide, you might have a, right. uh, have okay. an argument there, right? Right. right. Um, if your job is, uh, scouting as a guide, yeah. maybe, maybe you have an argument there, right? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's one of these things where people tend to do things cause that's how it's always been done. Right. And it's okay to ask questions and to push back. And yeah. sometimes it just costs you your time. Sometimes yeah. it costs your money, but whatever you do, I would highly encourage anybody if they have it and they feel that they're in the right, yeah. make sure they've got a way to be able to articulate afterwards. And what I like to do is I'll get things in writing yeah. and oftentimes they don't want to offer things in writing. So maybe I'll just do the reverse of that and I'll send them something in writing and say, here's what I'm planning on doing yeah. and reverse that onus. Yeah. If this is not within the prescribed rules, please let me know. Right. Yeah. yeah Otherwise exactly. I will proceed like ABC and here's the time frame you can get a hold of me and all the rest and give it a reasonable time. Yeah. Awesome. But I'm not a lawyer. I can't give legal advice, but I can talk about some of the areas that we do operate in. Cool. 